If you've been following us, uh, we're doing a series on the miracles of Jesus, and there's about 30-some-odd, depending on how you count them. Uh, like, we're going to look at one this morning that some people say are two, some people say are one. So it kind of depends on how you count them. Um, if you mess a message, by the way, um, the guys can get you a CD of it, or you can, we're now doing them online, so those of you that like that kind of stuff, um, we, we've got them online too. So um, we, we've talked about uh, the different miracles and, and, and what's happened. We started with the wedding uh, feast at Cana in Galilee, where Jesus turns the water into wine. We talked about the idea that it really shows the ability of Jesus Christ's power to transform something to take water and turn it into wine. And he, has this, he can do the same thing with our lives. He can take a life and transform it into something that is completely new, something that is uh, completely different. We talked about the idea of the nobleman's son, that the nobleman comes in and says, you know, my son's sick, and Jesus heals him from a distance. And, and Jesus does that to kind of help the disciples understand that when he leaves, that doesn't mean he can't still work. Just because he's not physically present, he still can work from distances. It, it's, no, it's no issue with God. We talked about the lame man at, at, at Bethesda that, 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 that stayed there by the pool for 38 years he was sick. And Jesus comes in and chooses to heal him. And just the significance of the idea that in hopeless situations, Jesus comes in and offers hope. And um, last week we talked about the, the demonic and the, uh, Jesus casting out the demon. And, and the idea that the demons actually obeyed Christ. And I mean, if, if, if in, the, in the world of Satan, they respond to Christ, how much more important is it for us as believers that when God speaks that we respond and we do what he asks of us? Uh, this morning we're going to look at probably one of the shortest miracles in all of the, um, in all of the miracles. That doesn't mean it'll be the shortest message, but it'll the shortest miracle, all right? <laughs> I want to get your hopes up there. Um, you know, some of you came to the, you know, you were at the fair service, like, wow, 25 minutes. Yeah, don't get used to it. Uh, <laughs> so thing I hate about the fair service one is like, well, it's going to be short. Uh, but um, it's the shortest of the miracles. It, it deals with Peter's mother-in-law, which is interesting because there are only two mother-in-laws that are mentioned in the Bible, Naomi and then Peter's mother-in-law. By the way, it's interesting, Peter does have a mother-in-law, so if you have a mother-in-law, that would mean that you are married. Exactly. So Peter's one of the disciples that was married. It's interesting. Peter is one of the ones who talks about the marriage relationship in his book in 1 Peter. And Peter is one of the ones who gives the challenge to men about the idea of, look, if you don't love your wives like you're supposed to, God won't hear your prayers. And that's significant coming from a guy who's married. So you know, there's some, there's some great things to learn about it. Um, this, this miracle is in, in the Gospel of Mark, it's in the Gospel of Luke, and it's in um, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and there are some variations to it. Some add different things than others do, so there's, there's a little bit added, and, and we'll talk about that this morning and, and some insight that some of the other writers have. But this morning, we're going to look at Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1, and here's, let's read the story, and then we'll talk about it. Let's see what we can learn. Mark chapter 1. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Okay, no, we're good. All right. Um, I didn't know. I can barely see the bottom one, but that's, we got the whole passage there. As soon as they had left the synagogue, so this is Jesus, and he's doing his thing at the synagogue, it says, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. 
Um, now, you can read this one of two ways. You can read it that all four of them went, or you can read it that James and John get Jesus to go to Simon and Andrew's house. Either way, it really doesn't matter as far as our, our, our understanding of it. It says, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with the fever. And here's the important thing. And they told Jesus about her. So this is the deal where they tell Jesus about her. Um, and it says, so he went into her, he took her hand, he helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Boom, that's it, miracle. Um, Jesus walks in. Mark, Mark says he takes her hand. Luke says he, 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 he uh, bends over her um, and speaks. And, and, and she, and, but either way, here's what, I mean, probably all that was involved. But either way, here's what happens. She has a fever. She's about ready to die. She's very, very sick. The next thing you know, she's up waiting on people. It's pretty significant. Think about it for a minute. Um, any of you had a high fever? Okay, so if I walk in and go, hey, get up. I don't think so. And even if you do feel like getting up, you're going to be dehydrated. You're going to be tired. No, no, no. This shows you the, the completeness um, of, of the idea. A lot of people believe Mark emphasizes this because Mark's gospel is about serving. Luke emphasizes this because Luke is a physician, and Luke's emphasis is the idea of the completeness of the miracle. That it's like one minute she's deathly on her deathbed, and the next minute she's up waiting on people. Showing the, the completeness of Jesus. It wasn't just a, okay, the fever's going to go in, you'll feel better in a couple of days. No, no, no. This is, boom, it happened. And she gets up and waits on people, and notice what happens next. And this is going to be really significant to our story this morning. That evening, after sunset, the people brought Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Remember we had talked about that last week, you know, how even the, the demonic world, the world of Satan, recognizes that Jesus was God? And so, you know, Jesus is like, you know, I'm not even going to give you guys an audience here. He'd, anytime, anytime Jesus deals with, with demons or Satan or his world, you need to understand this. He deals with it quickly, thoroughly and moves on um, that should be a great lesson for us anything to do with that world don't get interested in it don't explore it don't you you move on you push it aside and you move on and so notice what he goes on to say very early in the morning while it was still dark jesus gets up leaves the house and goes off to a solitary place where he prayed Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And, and, you know, my mind is warped anyway on stuff like this. This is what I, I think this is like one of the coolest things about this story. They lost Jesus. It's like, well, we're, you watched him? No, I wasn't watching him. You watching him? You, they lost Jesus. I think it's awesome. Um, and so they go looking for him. They go, we've been looking all over for you. And notice what he says. He said, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. Uh, Luke says it this way. Uh, Luke says he's come to preach the good tidings. Um, that's why he's come. And he goes on to say this. Um, that is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in our synagogues and driving out demons. All right. Um, so that's the story. Pretty, pretty straightforward. 
um, as far as the story goes, but let's pull some stuff out for it. Um, first of all, if you'll notice up in the first part of it, um, how completely Jesus does this. Um, she, she goes from being sick to waiting on them, which tells me something about her response to God working in her life. Um, I, I, and I think that's, that's kind of one of the, we'll get to it, but I think that's one of the lessons here, is that because of what God does, the natural response is to serve. There's a natural response. We'll talk about this. Ro- Romans talks about this in chapter 12. We'll talk about it in a second. Um, it goes on, and, and you see this, that it says, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Now, notice the next statement. Okay? Put this story in your head, all right? There, uh, and again, I, I understand the Sabbath is not Sunday and that the synagogue is not church. I get all that. But for our illustration, let's just gonna assume that kind of play it out that it is. You come home from church today. You bring Jesus with you because you got a sick mother-in-law, which tells me Peter had a great relationship with his mother-in-law, by the way. Because most people, when mother-in-law gets sick, it's like, oh, good. Um, you know, but he's got a great relationship with the mother-in-law. And he's like, okay, Jesus, you got to, you, you know, and then the disciples. And I think, I think in this story, as, as I understand it, it's James and John who bring Jesus because Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And I think that adds a whole another element to it. And we're going to talk about the implications for us, but it's this idea that they see their friend going through a tough time, and they know Jesus can help. So they say, hey, Jesus, look, today, instead of going over to, to, to George's house, let's go over to Simon and Andrew's house because Peter's mother-in-law is really sick. And I think you can help here. And they bring Jesus. And Jesus comes, and Jesus goes to the house, and Jesus heals her. And she gets up now, and she's waiting on everybody. And news, again, it's not like today. You know, you're going to go to, your, it's like I go to my house today. My, my, my closest neighbor is like a, a mile or so away. But here your closest neighbor was like their wall of, their house was part your wall. I mean, they were closer than the subdivisions in the city, okay? They, they were closer than that. And everybody lived in this like community kind of thing. So word spread very quickly when something like this happened. And so now I want you to think about this for a minute. The story starts going around that Jesus healed. They already know Jesus cast out demons. Jesus now healed a woman on the Sabbath. Okay, now that's significant. It's a woman that's healed. You go, well, that shouldn't be a big deal. Jesus healed all kinds of people. You didn't understand. In a conservative Jewish mindset, a Jew, a devout, devout Jew, every day got up, and when this was part of his prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Can you imagine me starting the service this morning saying, God, I thank you that I am not a woman, that I am not a Gentile, and that I am not a slave. You look at me and go, you got to be kidding me. That was the culture of the day. That was the culture of the day. So when Jesus does something like this, it's significant. He's making a statement. Because you see, what you need to understand is one of the things that Christianity does, a lot of people don't understand, Christianity takes the role of a woman and elevates it in a culture in which it was pushed way down. When Paul writes, there is neither male nor female, 
In a culture in which you stood up every day and prayed, I thank God I'm not a woman. I thank God, when God, when, when Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, I thank God I'm not a Jew. There is neither slave nor, nor, nor free. What? It was revolutionary. It was revolutionary. So Jesus heals, his, heals Peter's mother-in-law. And notice what happened. Now think about this for a minute. It's Sunday, you've had church, or the Sabbath, you've had service, you've come from the synagogue, you've healed. Everybody is saying, hey, he's healing. Jesus is healing people. Hey, they're sick people. Now you've got somebody who's really, really sick in your family. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's not what they did. That's not what they did. Do you understand this? Look at what it says. When did they bring them over? After sunset. They had so manipulated in this culture that people are sitting at home going, Hey, Dad, I know it's really hard to breathe, but if you can hang on until the sun goes down, I think i got somebody to help you. See, God, see Dad, look, I take you now, but it's the Sabbath. And I don't want to work by walking you to Jesus right now or by carrying you to Jesus. But as soon as the sun goes down, we'll get you help. That's how, that's how controlling the culture and the mindset and the legalism of the Pharisees had crept in to where you have somebody who needs help, somebody who can help, and people are going, Okay, sun will be down another three hours, then we can go. That's why Jesus does this when he does it. Don't, don't, God's timing is always impeccable. And notice this, it goes on. So that evening they bring to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathers at the door. So think about this for a minute now. The sun's gone down, and when the sun goes down in this culture, you would do what? Go to sleep. Many of you have different bedtimes, okay? I'm a night guy, so mine. So what this means is that at 12 o'clock, people start showing up at my door, and the whole town comes out. The whole town's gathering the door, and, hey, can you help my dad? Can you help my mom? Hey, can you help my sister? Hey, can you help my, my aunt? I'm sure the mother-in-law line was short, but it could have been. It could have been long. Um, I love my mother-in-law, by the way. My mother-in-law, in fact, my mother-in-law loves me. I, my wife leaves me and goes back to my, my, my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law will pack her up and send her back to me. Um, <laughs> I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> I love Betty. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's one of those kinds of things where, where they're bringing all these people, and what does Jesus do? He heals them. He casts out demons. So it's been a long, long day. He finally gets to sleep. Now, let me ask you something. What do you think is going to happen the next morning? It's going to be more of the same. They are going to be lined up again. Why? Because he's cast out demons. He's healing sick people. I mean, come on. You know, this is like, this is our answer. This is our hope. Let's go find him. And he gets up early in the morning, and he goes to a solitary place. And, and you need to understand this. The disciples have a hard time finding him. So it's not like Jesus goes and like sits on a hill where they can see him. He goes and finds this obscure, quiet, 
carved out little place that nobody can find him. Because he needs to allow the Father to speak to him and him to speak to the Father. He needs to spend time with the Father. It's been an exhausting day, so he spends time with God. And, and God with God, it's just a phenomenal concept. But anyway, God with God. And so they're spending time together, and the disciples get up, and they're like, where's Jesus? we got to go find Jesus. We've lost Jesus. And so Peter's running around, Andrew's running around, James and John are running around, everybody's running around. People, I'm sure by this time, have started to come to the house. It's like, what do you mean he's not here? Where is he? I don't know. We've lost him. Go find him. So now everybody's running around trying to find him. Notice what happens when they find him. They find him, and they, they look at him, and they go, um, everybody's looking for you. Look, Jesus, look, everybody's looking for you. You've got to get back to the house. That's what they're saying. Now, what does Jesus say? I think this is, I think, I, let me tell you something. I, I would love to just park here for the rest of the morning because I think this is one of the greatest lessons for us in our culture. Let's go somewhere else today. We ain't going back there, boys. We're moving on. Because here's the thing you're going to learn about Jesus. The crowd never sets his agenda. The Father does. The way that Jesus knew not to go back there is he just spent time with the Father. And the Father said, look, get going. Move on. Go to the next village. And it's interesting because notice what Jesus says. He says, I need to go there so I can preach there. He doesn't say, I need to go there so I can do miracles. I need to go there so I can cast out demons. He says, I need to go there so I can teach and preach there. Why? Because the Father always set his agenda, not the crowd. Okay, rabbit trail real quick. Got to jump onto it because I think it's so important for us. He doesn't let the world set his agenda. He lets the Father. And the reason he lets the Father set his agenda, I'm going to put it in 2014 terms, is because he shut off the cell phone and walked away from it. He's in a solitary place where no one can find him. You can't text him. You can't Facebook him. You can't call him. The best you're going to get at this point is to leave a message, and he'll get back to you. Why? Because spending time, the, the, the old saints called this solitude, and they called it a spiritual discipline because they valued it so much. Because you see, the, no, the world is so noisy, and God is that still small voice that God's going to speak greatest. That's why, remember, remember the story in the Old Testament? where there's a whirlwind and there's an earthquake and God and there's a fire. And he says it wasn't in that. God was in, in that still, small voice. And I'm convinced one of the things Satan does, he keeps us so busy, we don't have time to hear God. And when God does speak, there's too much noise and we can't hear him. And I think there's a big argument biblically for the idea of turning off your cell phone. Turn it off. You know what it'll do? It'll go to voicemail. And when you turn it back on, guess what? 
All those messages will be, you go, oh, you don't understand. I could lose a big deal. Bigger than maybe hearing the voice of God for that day. And see, if you listen to God's voice, you might learn that you weren't supposed to be listening to that deal anyway. See, we've gotten so, think about it for a minute. Most of you are old enough to know what life was like without a cell phone. I'll never forget the first time I was on a golf course with a guy and he brought his bag phone. Kids, look it up. <laughs> the original cell phones were like this big. They came with a big carrying case and an antenna about this long. Um, and um, we had one. Um, but this was early. This was really early, even before that. And, and, and I'll never forget, we get on the golf course and this guy's got his cell phone. And I looked at him and I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he was a big real estate guy, and he's a good friend. Um, and, 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 and I looked at him and said, Dick, I am not. I am not out here to have a phone ring. I said, I, li- I get that in my office all day long. And he goes, eh, you know, I've got to have it for a business. And I'm like, I cannot believe it. You know what I golf with now? Cell phone. Now I turn it off, but it's still in the bag. Why? Because we've, we, we, we've, 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 we've absorbed this idea that we have to be so accessible to everybody at all times. But Jesus was comfortable enough to look at them and say, yeah, I know there's a whole lot of people back there, and they got a whole lot of problems, and they want me to come and fix them, but you know what? i got to move on. i got to go to the next town. They need to hear what i got to say. So let's go, boys. We're going this way. The only reason he could do that is because he knew what the Father wanted him to do. Okay, um, so all right, um, enough of all of that. Let me let me talk about some quick cultural observations, and let's talk about some things that that apply to us. Um, whenever we talk about the Bible and sickness, people get really nervous. Okay, um, so let's talk about why God allows sickness into our lives. There are all different kinds of reasons. Um, so let me give you some Bible helps here. Um, Corinthians teaches very, very clear that sometimes God brings, God brings sickness into your life because of sin. That's communion. He says, look, some, for this reason, some are sickly, some even have died because, of un, because they haven't dealt with their sin. So let's understand that sometimes God needs to get our attention, and the goodness of God leads to repentance. So God's going to do a whole number of things to get our attention, but if we keep ignoring him, sometimes God doesn't have any choice but to bring sickness in our life to get our attention. Because what happens when you're sick? You start to step back, refocus your life, think about what's really important. Um, you know, you get a call today, somebody you love goes in the hospital, I guarantee you, whatever's on your schedule this afternoon goes right out the window. I guarantee you that whatever you got planned for this week becomes secondary to them. Why? Sickness has a way of doing that. And sometimes that's what God has to do, and that's the only way God can get our attention. Sometimes that's what God does. The Bible's clear about that. Um, Sometimes, as we've already learned, it, it's a result of, of demons and demonic activity. I think that's minimal today in our culture, but it does, it does happen. And we've seen it in the Bible already in the miracles that we've talked about. Um, I think the last areas are really probably the most important and probably the reason God allows it into our lives more than anything else is Paul is a great example where sometimes God does it so that it teaches us humility, compassion, understanding, graciousness. Um, Paul had something wrong. We don't know what it was. It was an infirmity. He prayed three times and begs God to get rid of it, and God doesn't. And he said, 
And, and the passage is, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. In other words, he is able to mature me through this. Um, I, I would illustrate it this way. Um, I, I deal with a lot of people who have cancer, who get cancer. And I can sit down and I can listen to their story and I can pray with them and I can talk them through it and we can do all of that. But if I have a choice between sending me in there to talk to them and sending somebody who's had cancer, oh, they can, they can minister a hundred times more effectively than I ever could. Why? They understand. The only reason they understand is because they went through it. And God had to allow that in order, for to, to, in order to allow them to be able to minister to others, to comfort them with the comfort wherewith they've been comforted, is the way the Scripture says it. So sometimes it's for that reason. Um, when God chooses to do something like that or allow something like that, I think one of the things you have to understand is this. It says a lot about your personal faith for God to allow that to come into your life. Because God's not going to allow it with people who can't handle it. Okay? Um, sometimes it's just simply for the glory of God. Remember the disciples that came to Jesus and they said, why is this man born blind? His sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. He's born blind so that God may be glorified. Sometimes it's simply for the glorified. You go, you go yeah, but what, I don't understand this whole sin thing. Understand this. It's not the way God intended it. The Garden of Eden is the way God intended it. But when sin came in, the second sin enters the picture, it mars and ruins everything. Everything starts to decay. Sin now is part of it. And we die because of sin. Sin came into this world that way. And so sin has, has this idea of sickness and death and all of that comes as a result of Garden of Eden. So it's, it's a world in which we live in it. And that's why the whole idea of the cross is a redemption from all of that. Now, let me say this too while I'm on this, because some of you come from a Pentecostal, charismatic, healing, holiness kind of background. And in your, in your theology, in your upbringing, in your exposure, you have been taught that it is a sin, that, I don't want to say it's sin, that any time a believer is sick, God's purpose is to always heal them. So in, in, in that theology, the idea is, and, and I'll, I'll help you understand it in a minute, that for a Christian, that if they get sick, then God always wants to heal. That, that's the idea. Now, to be fair to them, you need to understand, here's, here's where they get that from. Isaiah chapter 53 says, with his stripes we are healed. Right? There's two ways to interpret that. Physical healing or spiritual healing. We believe, as a church, I believe, our church believes, that that's spiritual healing. So when it talks about the atonement, it talks about the idea that with his stripes, we're healed spiritually. They interpret that to be physical healing as well. They believe that it's spiritual healing, just like we do. But they also believe that that healing is physical. So in their worldview... The idea is that the atonement takes care of sin spiritually and then the effects of sin, sickness, physically. So in their mindset then, 
the goal is, because of the atonement, the goal of God is always to heal. Um, and so if God's not healing, then it has to be, it's not a problem with the atonement. It's not a problem with God. Often, you will hear it, it's a problem with the faith, the trust, the belief, uh, the faith of others, the, whatever. And, and so they attribute to that. So, um, and we have people here, by the way, who believe that. And that's okay if you believe that. You need to understand, somebody gets sick, I'm praying for their healing. But I'm also praying for God's will. And I understand that in your worldview, God's will is to heal. In my worldview, that God's will may not be to heal. Okay, I, I believe that. So that's where we differ. We can fellowship, we can worship, we can sing, we can pray, we can have fun. We're just going to agree to disagree, all right, um, on that. So, so when we talk about this whole sin, because we're going to deal with a lot of people who get healed, and, and just to give you a frame of reference. So if you're coming from one of those backgrounds, understand where we're coming from so we're all on the same page, all right? Um, let's talk about some things from this story to, to apply it. Um, first lesson I see here. The first lesson I see in this story is intercession. <clears throat> I think James and John are burdened for Peter, who doesn't want to say anything to Jesus about his mother-in-law being sick. But his buddies know. So his buddies come to Jesus and say, look, Jesus, Peter's not going to say anything to you, but this is really wearing on him. Can we go see his mother-in-law? They step into a situation where they think they can help and offer some help here. You see on their part of it what I would say is an intercession on their part of it for their friend. And I think that's a great lesson for us. We live in a world in which, you know, there's the, some of you are, you know, some of you can go into that category of busybody where, like, you're jumping in everybody's business. That's not what we're talking about. But some of you are in the other category where you don't want to jump into anybody's business when you need to, okay, um, where you need to. Um, I, I, it's happened to me probably every week for the last month where I've got somebody that calls or says, hey, look, I know so-and-so's going through a tough time. How can I help them? And, you know, I, and I go through some things with them. I say, you know, okay, who are they listening to? Tell me who they're listening to. Let's see if we can figure out the best person to listen to. Because, see, if you don't have a relationship with them, then you're not the person. Peter, James, John, Andrew, these guys are close. These are tight guys. And they see their buddy going through a tough time, and they want to do something, but they don't know what to do. So they say, Jesus, maybe you can step in and help here. So they go to Jesus for him. Why? Because he's so enamored with the situation, he's not, for whatever reason, he's not going to ask Jesus or he's overwhelmed by it. And so they come alongside him. Look, there are people who God has brought into your path that in all honesty, God may have put you there to intercede, to help them get through what it is they're going through. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing to do. You go, I don't want to stick my nose in somebody else's business. If that's your response, then you're probably not the kind of person who sticks your nose in other people's business and you're okay. Um, because God wants you to intercede, to get involved in people. And, and really, that's what a church family should do, is we watch out for one another. Um, you know, our closest friends, I mean, you know, they'll tell you, we pretty much raised all of the kids together. Because when we would yell at a kid, we really didn't pay attention to who owned them. We would just... Everybody was on the same page as far as we wanted. It's like, hey, 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 you can't do that. You go apologize to him. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's not my kid. Um, uh, but it didn't matter. 
Why? Because we were all on the same page helping one another parent. And we had that understanding. And we understood that. So, you know, I didn't get all, how dare you yell at my kid? You know, I'm like, you know, you got to it before I did. Okay. Um, But, I mean, somebody got there, and that, that was the thing. Why? Because we're in it, and, and, and that interceding thing, that's what it takes. And some of you, you've got friends who are going through some really tough times, and you don't know what to do to help them, but I'll tell you what, you can work out getting them to somebody to help them or getting somebody to help you to help them and getting involved in their life. I understand we're in a culture in which we, we, we pride ourselves on independence, but you need to understand that is the death knell to your Christian life. God designed us to be interconnected one with another. God designed us to carry one another's burdens. God designed us that we're all in this thing together. God didn't design you to live independently and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and do it all your own way. When he, that one thing he saw about Adam that, was, that, he, that he disliked created the entire world, loved everything about it until he saw Adam alone and said, this is not good. This is not good. Man wasn't designed to be alone. That's why, by the way, the whole institution of the church came about because Christians were not designed to live the Christian life as a solo journey on their own. You know, and if you think you've got all the answers, well, you know, introduce yourself to me because I've never met anybody who does yet. And I sure don't. But if you give me enough time, we can probably find somebody who does, who has the answer to your problem, who has the way to help you through whatever it is you're struggling with. Um, I think another principle out of this passage that I see is this idea. The response of, uh, of, of Peter's mother-in-law, the second she is healed, is to serve. Look, you're alive. So that means one thing in my world that God ain't done with you. And if God's not done with you, then here's what that means. That means God's got something for you to do. Paul argues this in Romans chapter 12. He says, look, I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable in God. That only makes sense. After all, everything God done for you, the natural thing you ought to do is serve him. You let him use you. God didn't save you just to, so that you could go to heaven. Otherwise, here's the way it would work. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that I need a Savior. Please come into my heart. Save me from my sin. Forgive me for my sin. Boom, I'm dead. I'm in heaven. I got my ticket. We're good to go. No. God said, no, no. I saved you so that, yes, you can have eternal life in heaven. But more importantly, I saved you so that you could have life eternally here. So that you could show a world what it looks like when I walk on this earth. Because, see, I'm not walking on the earth anymore. I'm, walk, I'm living in your life. You're, you're, my, you're the Jesus to the world. That's your goal here. That's my goal here. So when the world sees us, as Colossians says, they see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's our goal. That's our role as believers. The second she is yield, she serves. And you know what? That's, that's a great reminder for us. Um, I think a third idea is this. Let God set the agenda for your life. All week long, 
there are going to be things crying for your attention. And I'm convinced that Satan's number one job, number one thing that he does in our lives this week, this week is he's going to keep you busy. And, he's, and the busier he can keep you, the more successful he can be in not letting God speak to your heart. I'm not saying, look, I, got, I know what my schedule looks like this week. And I am not looking forward to this week. I really am not. It's like one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. But I hope that I have set my schedule enough this week that it's the schedule that God wants for me this week. And not the schedule I want for me. I hope that God's the one who's leading my path this week. And the reason I have those things on my schedule is because there are opportunities for God to use me or to speak to me or opportunities for God to work. So do what you need to do to hear the voice of God. In the life of Jesus, at a very hectic time, he got up early, he went apart, he turned it all off, he listened to God. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know if that means turning off the radio when you're driving to work. I don't know if that means listening to, I don't know if that means just carving out a little place in your house. Um, I don't know if that means building you a tent in the wilderness. I don't know what it means for you, but carve out a time, a place, an opportunity for God to speak to your heart. And finally, I think the last idea that I see is this. The reason Jesus could say, I'm going on to the next village, is because he knew what his purpose was. I think some of you struggle in life because you don't know why God has you here yet. And I would tell you this morning that as long as you're breathing, then God's got a purpose. And you've got to figure out what that is. You know? And you've got to figure out how God can use you. And I, I think some of you, the, the sad thing is, some of you look at your jobs as a job. And your job's not a job. Your job's a ministry. And some of you look at, 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 at work as a burden. And the truth of the matter is, your work is an opportunity. And some of you look at the stuff that you're going through right now and your idea is, God, deliver me, God, deliver me, God, deliver me. And the response ought to be, God, use it, God, use it, God, use it. And I think so many times we're, we're, we're so anxious to get out of whatever it is we're going through to get on to the next thing that we miss the opportunities that we have in whatever God has allowed into our lives. And sometimes God's going to take us through difficult things so that he can be honored and glorified. And God's going to take us through difficult waters so that one day down the line we can minister to others. And sometimes God's going to take us through difficult times just because it will allow us to get close to him. But we lose that because we just want to get through it. Jesus looked, was able to look at his disciples and say, no, no, we ain't going back there. We're moving, we're moving on to the next village. So my prayer for you this week is this. I'm going to end it this way and say, we're challenged to remember that our role is to spend time with the Father. We need to be serving, and we need to be interceding on behalf of other people and allow God to use us to meet the needs of the people he brings into our lives this week. Because he's put us here to be a light and a testimony to them. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for the simplicity sometimes of your teaching. But God, if we just listen this morning, punch a time clock, so to speak, to say that we've gone to church, we miss the importance of what you want to do in our lives. So Lord, use us this week. Lord, there's some people in here that are just overwhelmed. 
God, would you extend to them grace and peace and mercy? Lord, for some, they need to get involved and, and intercede and help on behalf of a friend or a loved one. Lord, would you help them to figure out the best way to do that this week? Lord, for others, um, Lord, they have just come to a point where they are so busy and so overwhelmed with life that, Lord, um, you've gotten pushed aside. So, Lord, help them to find out that, find that opportunity, that way to carve out some solitude with you, some opportunities, Lord, to just pour their heart out to you and, and allow you to speak to them. And, God, for some who are going through physical stuff, God, we pray for their healing. We pray for you to work in unusual ways, Lord, to heal and to use that situation, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. So God, guide us this week and use us. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen.